Welcome to the Weekend Pulpit of Everyday Truth. We are currently in a series of messages studying the life of Elijah and considering the ups and downs of serving God. Hope you enjoy. God bless. 1 Kings chapter 18. In your Bible, we talked last week a bit about this guy by the name of Obadiah. I called him the forgotten Joseph. Uh, This man who was the second in command in his country, a man that stood for God in a very godless society. God used him, and we don't know his name too much. He's a footnote in the Bible, but we saw some ways by which God used this great man, Obadiah. And remember, Obadiah's concern was, uh, Elijah, I have found you, and I've been tasked with uh, reporting to my king uh, if I have seen you. And now I'm going to go back and tell Ahab that I found Elijah, and uh, you're going to, God's spirit's going to take you away, and I'm going to get in trouble. And so uh, Elijah said, no, no, Obadiah, don't worry about that. God told me to, to present myself to Ahab, so uh, don't worry about it. You go tell him uh, that I'm here and that I'm going to present myself to him. And that's where we are in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse number 16. So look, please, if you would, at verse number 16, where the Bible says, So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And the Bible says at the end of verse 16, And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And what we find in verses 17 through 40, I know that's a big section, okay, but don't get nervous. Okay, verses 17 through 40 will be the section that we'll cover today. What we find is we find four conversations, four, four different conversations in these verses. Now, number one, we have a private conversation. Elijah is having a conversation with Ahab. What did he say? And why did he say, why did he say it? Okay, number two, we have Elijah has a conversation with all the people. And when I say all the people, I mean all the representative leaders. So all the, the mayors and the representatives and the senators and the tribal leaders, they're all there. And, and Elijah has a separate conversation with them. And then Elijah has a specific conversation with the prophets of Baal, the false prophets. He has a conversation with them. And then finally, he has a conversation, conversation again with the people. So Ahab, the people, the prophets, and then the people again. And by the time we get to the people again, you're going to see that really the conversation is not just with them, it's with us. Realizing that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Realizing that the Bible is for us. And while this was a story that took place uh, many uh, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, it's a story that's just as relevant today as it was those many years ago. Lord, I pray that you bless the message. Help us, Lord, as we talk about the fire that fell, that you would, in a very profound way, fall upon us today. We've sung the song, may thy spirit fill us with love and power. We surrender all today, asking that you would do in our lives what only you can do. Please bless this message. Help us to understand it. Help us to find application for it in our own lives. Help us to... Be equipped by it to be better witnesses for Christ in a world that needs him so desperately. Bless this message, I pray now, in Jesus' name, amen. Notice, first of all, this morning, the conversation that Elijah had with Ahab. Would you look at verse number 17? The Bible says, It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? It's so amazing to me how easy it is to justify our own sin. 
It's, it's amazing to me how that people that are the root of the problem see everyone else as the cause of the problem. And that's Ahab. If there's any one person who's responsible for all of what's been going on for the past three years, it's Ahab. If there's any one person that's responsible for the lack of rain and the increase of drought conditions, if anybody's responsible for uh, the, the poor condition that, of the people, it is Ahab. And yet when Ahab meets Elijah, the very first thing Ahab says is, there you are, you're the trouble. There you are, it's your fault. There you are, all the problems of our nation are pinned on you and you alone. And by the way, that's always been the case. Blame shifting has been uh, the human condition since day one. It's the woman. It's the woman that you gave me. No, no, it was not me. It was the snake that tempted me. We've always wanted to shift blame. And that's Ahab. Ahab has wanted to shift the blame of his own sinful uh, activity upon Elijah. Watch how Elijah, first of all, clarifies the issue. Would you look at that, verse number 18? How does uh, Elijah clarify the issue? And he answered, Elijah did, I have not troubled Israel, but thou. Hey, it's not my, I'm not the problem, you are. Well, that's a pretty bold guy right there speaking to the king. Hey, I'm not the trouble, you are, but thou in thy father's house. And here's why. In that ye have forsaken the commandment of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. So I am, an I am ending in the Bible is a plural ending. So Balaam means a plurality of false gods. No, I'm not the problem. Your idol worshiping is the problem. I'm not the problem. Your apostasy is the problem. I'm not the problem. You have defied the express commandment of God. Hey, Ahab, you knew better, and you defied the commandment of God. You are the problem. And so what does uh, Elijah do? Elijah clarifies the issue. Can I just say this? Elijah is a prophet of God's word. God's word always clarifies the issue. Well, if you want clarity in your life, go to God's word because God's word will clarify. Now, you might not like the clarification because what we like to do is we like to go to people that, that give us an excuse for our sin. We like to go to people that give us an excuse for our behavior, but God's word never excuses our behavior. It confronts it. And so what happened was Ahab stood before the word of God. He stood before Elijah, the prophet of God. His behavior was confronted. Why? Because Elijah clarified the issue. But not only did Elijah clarify the issue, look at verse number 19. Now, therefore, he said, send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. Now, therefore, send, gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And so what does Elijah do? I think, first of all, he clarifies the issue. But secondly, uh, he calls for Israel. He said, I want the entire nation to be represented at what's going to happen. I'm calling for this convocation. I'm calling for this special contest. And I want every a person in Israel to be represented there. Now, does that mean that Elijah says, okay, every man, woman, and child, every little boy and girl, uh, every inhabitant of the entire nation are all going to come to one place? That's not what he's talking about. All Israel means all Israel representative, all, all represented there. So I want every town, every village, every family, every tribe to be represented on Mount Carmel. Why? Because I want there to be eyewitness testimony. I want people to see, I want people to experience so they go back to their family, they go back to their tribe, they go back to their hometown and tell them, listen, this is true, I was there. So he calls all Israel. 
So we see, first of all, he clarifies the issue. That's verse number 18. Uh, verse number 19, he calls all Israel. And then finally, uh, uh, a conflict is initiated. Look at verse number 19 again, where it says, and, middle of the verse, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So 850 false prophets. The prophets of Baal, the prophets of the grove, all these false prophets. I want all of them to be there too. So can you imagine how many people Elijah is calling to this meeting? Hey, Ahab, you need to be there by implication. Now, Ahab, make sure that every official is there. Make sure that every town, every village, every hamlet, every city, every tribe, every family, make sure they're all represented. And by the way, make sure that all the prophets of Baal, all the prophets of the grove, all the false prophets, make sure they're there too. Well, we don't even know what's going to happen yet, but uh, boy, the, the plot is thickening. We don't know what's going to happen yet, but wow, what a meeting this will be. As thousands upon thousands of people are going to gather on the side of a mountain and see God do something big. The fire is about to fall. Okay, so, so far, so good. We have Elijah having a conversation with Ahab. Okay, now watch this, number two. Elijah now addresses the people. Look at verse number, uh, verse number 20. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Look at verse number 21. And Elijah came unto, and here it is, Elijah came unto all the people. So pay attention when you read your Bible about who is talking and to whom they're talking. Author and audience, speaker and audience is so important. Why? Because all the Bible is written for us, but not all the Bible is written to us. So sometimes we're reading in on what God says to others. So here we're reading in on what does Elijah say to Ahab? We saw that. Now, what does Elijah say to these people? Now, who are the people? The people are the representatives. The people are the, the ones that represent towns and villages and families and tribal leaders. And these are the, the who's who of the northern kingdom of Israel. They're all there. And now Elijah has a special speech just to them. Look at verse number 21 again. So Elijah came unto all the people and said, don't miss it, verse 21, how long halt ye between two opinions? How long halt ye between two opinions? Now, when I say the word halt, what, what word comes to your mind? Probably the word that comes to your mind is the word stop. A halt, in the name of the law, halt, right? Halt, but that's not what the word means. Now, we use that word in modern language, and certainly it does mean that today, but the word halt in the Old English meant, meant to limp. Okay, so the halt and the lame, right? The halt. So the halt literally means to hop. So that's why they say when a person is halting, they're kind of like they're, they're hopping, right? Because they can't put all their weight on one foot. So they're, they're halting, they're hopping. And that's what the word means, to hop. Sometimes the word, this, this is really interesting, sometimes the word is translated dance, the hopping back and forth. Now, I would dance, but I don't want to make you jealous with my moves, okay? But uh, dancing, okay? Hopping, vacillating. So what, what is Elijah saying here? He's saying, listen, I want to know how long you're going to hop between two opinions. Okay, so it seems as if what the people of God were doing is the people of God were trying to have it both ways. It seems as if what the people of God were doing is saying, well, we've not totally repudiated our relationship with Jehovah. We, we, I mean, well, that, that's my grandpa's dad, and, and I still want to uh, follow him, but, but also I want to keep all my options open. 
So sometimes I'm praying to Baal and sometimes I'm, I'm praying to God and sometimes I'm trusting God and sometimes I'm trusting my paycheck and I just kind of want to have it both ways. And what, what Elijah says is, hey, there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. And can I just say that in, 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 in today's society, it's just as true as it was 2,800 years ago. There's no middle ground. If God is God, then we ought to worship God alone. If God is the God of the Bible, if God is the God that created the world, if God is our Redeemer, then we ought to worship Him alone. Uh, we shouldn't be vacillating between two opinions. We shouldn't have a multi. We're not polytheistic, right? And so what is Elijah saying? Hey, listen, no middle ground. But then watch what he says in verse number 21 again. Because he says, um, how long halt ye between two opinions? If, that's the big if, if the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, and the idea there is be God, then follow him. And all the people answered him not a word, which really just demonstrates how, uh, how, how uh, paralyzed they were. They didn't even know what to say to that. They, they were so caught in that murky middle, they didn't really know what to say. They didn't know what commitment to make. They didn't know what they believed. And what Elijah was saying is no middle ground. It's the same spirit with which Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. I mean, you can serve God or, or serve uh, false gods, but you got to choose. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, but you got to make your own choice. So what Joshua said back in Joshua 24 is what Elijah is saying in 1 Kings chapter 18, and that is there is no middle ground. But I think, number two, he's implying there's no mediocre ground. You say, what do you mean, what do you mean by that? There's no middle ground. There's no mediocre ground. Because what Elijah says this, if God's God, then follow him. If Baal's God, then follow him. In other words, your life, your priorities, your schedule, everything about you ought to demonstrate who you follow. It ought to demonstrate what you believe. See, I think sometimes as Christians, we hide behind the fact that we have good theology. We hide behind the fact that, no, I believe that there's only one God. He exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the God of the Bible. I don't worship false gods. I don't believe in idolatry. No, I'm a follower of God. Yeah, but am I? Because sometimes I think it's true up here. I think we, we know how to quote the verses. We know what the ologies are. We know what all the isms are. But I wonder, does our life reflect fellowship? Does our life reflect commitment? Does our life reflect the kind of person who really believes what he says? And so what's Elijah saying? Elijah's saying, hey, there's no middle ground. There is, there is no mediocre ground. I mean, you got to live like what you say you believe. Just make a choice. I think thirdly, he's saying there's no muddy ground. And what do I mean by that? He said, I'm going to clear the whole thing up for you. That's what Elijah said. I'm going to clear the whole thing up for you. But obviously, they needed clarity because they couldn't even answer they need clarity because they're, they're paralyzed. They, they're not even willing to publicly say which side they're on. And so, hey, and so, so watch what Elijah says in verse number 22. He says, then Elijah, uh, I'm sorry, verse number, yeah, 22. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. Now, that wasn't really true. Elijah kind of had that kick. You know, Elijah knew there were other prophets, I mean, he just heard from Obadiah there were 50 in this cave and 50 in that cave. He knew there were at least 100. God told him later on there were 7,000 more. But sometimes when we're going through it all by ourselves, we feel as if we're the only one. So Elijah said, hey, I'm the only one. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore 
verse 23, give us two bullocks. Let them choose one. They can provide the bullocks. And then of the two that they provide, they can choose the better one. And then cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it. Now, don't start a fire. I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And call ye. Now, who is Elijah speaking to? He's speaking to the people. He's not speaking to the prophets here. He's speaking to the people. And he says in verse number uh, 24, and call ye on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered. Well, now they're talking. They didn't answer a word before, but now they're talking. Uh, he's brought them clarity because they said, they said, it is well spoken. That sounds reasonable. So what's happening is you've got people there that are, uh, they're halting between two opinions. They're hopping back and forth. They're dancing around the truth. And what Elijah says, you can't do that anymore. No wiggle room. You got to make a choice. No middle ground. No mediocre ground. Whatever choice you make, follow that choice. Live like what you say you believe. So let me get rid of the muddiness. Let me get rid of the murkiness and just say, let's do it this way. Okay, we'll, we'll build an altar, we'll build an altar. We'll, we'll lay wood, we'll lay wood. We'll sacrifice a bullock, we'll sacrifice a bullock. No fire here, no fire there, we'll both pray. And whichever God is a real God is gonna start a fire with, no, with, with, with nothing other than prayer, okay? Uh, does that make sense? Would that be fair? The people said, yep, yep. What's Elijah doing? He's removing the murkiness. You know, I think sometimes that's our call as believers, with our family members, with our friends, with our acquaintances, with the people that God puts in our life. You know, we're called to remove the murkiness, to show them the reality of God, to show them the power of prayer, to show them that our God is the real God and, and our God's the God that answers prayer and our God's the God that's relational. And our God's the God that's real. And our job is to remove the murkiness in people's lives. And that's what Elijah did. He had a conversation with Ahab. He had a conversation with the people. Now watch this, number three. He had a conversation with the prophets. This must have been awkward. But watch what happens in verse number 25. Verse number 25. And, I'm sorry, and Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourselves. Dress it first for your many. There's a lot of you. Call on the name of your gods. Put no fire under and they took the bullock, watch what they did. They took the bullock, which was given them. They dressed it. They called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, at least three hours. Now, wait a minute. Have you ever prayed for three hours? Maybe you have, but I would dare say that most people haven't. I'd say that most people have never knelt down and prayed for three hours straight. Now, maybe some have, but, but, but probably most haven't. But you've got to hand it to the prophets of Baal. You've got to hand it to the people that joined in. You've got to hand it to them. They prayed for three straight hours. Oh, Baal. Oh, God. Light the fire. Show that you're real. And guess what they heard for three hours? Crickets. For three hours. Can I say this? They were fervent. They were sincere. I mean, they, they, are, they are expecting to hear from somebody. They believe that their God is real. They accepted, they accepted the terms of the conflict. They are duped into thinking that their God is real. And we live in a world just like that today. 
I'll go to the Western Wall there in Jerusalem and I'll, I'll spend some time praying at that wall. I'll notice my Jewish friends that are along that wall, Orthodox Jews, and uh, they'll have all the regalia on and they'll have their prayer shawl on and uh, they'll, have their, uh, they'll have their prayer book on and, and they, they pray and, and they, they memorize their prayer and they do it in cadence and they'll be praying their prayers against the wall and they're praying for Messiah to come and, and they're not knowing Jesus, not knowing Messiah has come, not knowing to have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I'll walk down that Western Wall Tunnel. I'll see these young girls, beautiful young ladies, 18, 19, 20 years of age, with tears streaming down their cheeks. Oh, please, Messiah, come. Oh, please, to have a zeal for God, fervent for God. But God can't answer that prayer because he's already come. I see some of my Muslim friends that no doubt have great sincerity that they uh, bow down uh, toward Mecca five times a day. Uh, no doubt many of them, good, sincere people that believe that Allah is hearing them, but, 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 but sincerely wrong. I remember going to Myanmar and Thailand uh, several years ago on a missions trip and going into those temples and seeing people lighting incense and uh, people that were uh, laying down on the floor and spending hours praying to a multiplicity of gods or the time I went to Tamil Nadu in uh, India and saw people worshiping all these gods and, and these poor people giving all their money and, and uh, there was nothing there, but they were fervent. That's what's happening here. The fervency of their prayer. But not only were they fervent, they were fanatical. Watch what the Bible says in verse number 27, verse number 26, rather. But there was no voice nor, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar, which was made. I mean, they are getting fanatical, jumping up and down. And it came to pass at noon. Elijah mocked them. He said, cry aloud. In other words, pray louder. He, for he's a God. He, either he's talking or, or he's pursuing or he's on a journey or peradventure he sleeps and he must be awakened. Man, he's probably busy. He might be sleeping. Maybe he's away. Maybe he's in another conversation. Hey, just call out louder. Maybe he'll hear you. Say, boy, Elijah's being cruel. No, Elijah's not being cruel. Elijah is pushing the issue. Can I say this? Sometimes when you witness to people, it's not cruel to push the issue. It's not cruel to, to show that God is God and, and push them. That's what Elijah's doing. And they're fanatical because what the Bible says in verse number 28, and they cried aloud. They cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And they were a bloody mess. Oh, maybe God, you'll hear me now as I cut myself. Oh, maybe God, you'll hear me now as I stab myself. Aren't you glad that we don't have to bloody ourselves for God to hear us? We have a God that bloodied himself so that we can hear him. That's a big difference, isn't it? A big difference. These are fervent prayers. They're fanatical prayers. But they're failing in their prayer. Their prayers ultimately fail. Why? There's nobody at the other end of the line. There's nobody there. I meant to look it up. I used an illustration years ago about a case that was solved because a man was on a phone acting like he was talking and it came out in court because he acted like he was talking to the person whom he had murdered. This is back before cell records and GPS locations and forensic files and all that. You know, this is good old-fashioned detective work. They caught the man because little did the man know that his 
young daughter in an upstairs bedroom had picked up the phone. She testified in court that daddy was talking to nobody. Daddy was talking to nobody. She picked up the phone and listened in. Daddy was talking. If you're under 30, you don't know what I'm even talking about right now. Okay. (laughs) I wonder sometimes if we're talking to nobody. Only God is at the other end of the line. Here were fanatical prayers, fervent prayers, but ultimately failing in their prayers to God. Elijah addressed the prophets. Look at verse number 29. It came to pass when midday was passed. They prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. Don't miss that. I'm going to come back to that. They prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. Nobody, nobody said anything. Nobody answered anything and nobody cared. What a sad life. That's religion. That's religion. There's nobody at the other end of the line. It's your own best shot. And so Elijah, he talked to Ahab. Elijah, he talked to the people. Elijah, he talked to the prophets. But now lastly this morning, let's go back to Elijah talked again to the people. Well, now it's time. Now it's time for them to learn something. Now it's time for God to be revealed. Now it's time for the lesson to be hammered home. Look at it. Uh, Verse number 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. Now that was a big crowd. It wasn't like, hey, two or three. It was like, hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Come on, gather around. Get close. Come on, make room. I want everyone to see this. They're on a slope. So no doubt they've got a panoramic view. There's probably several thousand people there. They're craning their necks. They're looking over. Come near. Come on, everyone. I want everyone to see this. Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. Watch this, number one. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That's interesting. Because there had been no altar of God, public altar of God now, for 50 years. Ever since Jeroboam kind of changed the religious system in the northern kingdom and said, hey, there's an altar up in, Be- uh, in Dan. There's an altar down in Bethel. We're not going to worship God the way we're supposed to worship God because we're, uh, we're not like that southern kingdom. Hey, the altar of God has been in disrepair for a long time, for a long time. But now what's, now what's Elijah doing? He's finding those old stones for that altar. He's putting all those stones back in place. They're, they're heavy stones. All the people are watching him as he's rebuilding the altar of God. And Elijah took 12 stones. Interesting. According to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord uh, came, saying, Israel shall be my name. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. That's a deep trench. He put the wood in order. He cut the bullock in pieces. He laid them on the wood. He said... Fill four barrels with water. Now understand, water is scarce. You don't waste water. Take four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. It's hard to get a fire going with wet wood. And he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran round about the altar and filled the trench with with water. So now you've got this altar that's drenched. 
Now you got this altar that's surrounded by water. No way for fire to get in. No way for fire to spark. No way for spontaneous combustion. This is impossible. Elijah has created an impossible situation. So there can be no trickery. There can be no, there can be no uh, magnifying glass. There can be no uh, sleight of hand. If a fire is going to happen, it's going to have to be God. Look at verse number. Well, let's stop there for a moment, and I'll, I'll give you a couple thoughts. Elijah addresses the people again. I think, first of all, he rebuilt the altar of the Lord. Sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, I've been away from God for a long time. What do I do? Rebuild the altar of the Lord. Sometimes in our zeal to want people to serve God again, we tell them things to do. Well, you know, be at church three times a week and, you know, start serving and start giving and start whatevering. But the most important thing to coming back to God is getting this right. Everything else takes care of itself. You rebuild the altar of God. Get the lines of communication open again. Come in humility and faith. Come in repentance to say, God, I'm broken down. God, I got to get right with you. I come to you by virtue of the sacrifice of Jesus. I come again in Jesus' name. God, I've wandered far from home. I'm coming home. God, here I am. That's, that's what Elijah did. He rebuilt the altar of God. And what's interesting is he took 12 stones. Everybody there understood what that meant. Every one of those people knew 12 stones. 12 stones, that was the altar. Remember when Joshua came from across the Jordan River? Remember, he stopped in the middle of the Jordan River when God held the water back? And he said to every representative, these guys are there, they're watching. Not the same people, but their great, great, great grandfathers were the actual ones that picked those stones up in the middle of the Jordan River. 12 of them, one for each tribe. And they took those stones out of the Jordan River and they sent them on the other side and said, our God brought us to this land and our God ought to be worshiped in this land. And then God said, and as soon as you get to the land, fight the battles, Jericho and Ai, but get as quickly as you can back up to Shechem because that's where Abraham built his altar. And get back up to Shechem and build an altar there. And the Bible says they went back up to Shechem, Mount Ebal, uh, outside of Shechem, and they built another altar of 12 stones. And then Joshua built his own altar in the middle of the Jordan River with 12 stones. And God told the high priest, I want you to have a breastplate with 12 stones. Those 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Now Elijah begins to lift these stones and the people are looking. What Elijah is saying is God hasn't forgotten you. I know it's been hard. I know the drought's been hard. I know you've been vacillating, hopping back and forth, dancing between two decisions, but God loves you. And God gave you your name, Israel. He's got a plan for you. Come on back. Serve him again. He's still here. He still loves you. I know the messages have sound negative. I know that the drought has been hard, but this is God loving you. All the tribes. What's interesting is, the southern two tribes weren't even there, but God was saying, listen, I love all of you. Wow. Rebuild the altar of God. Number two, repent of your adultery to the Lord. That's what God's calling. Hey, you have committed spiritual adultery. You want me and you want another. You want to have it both ways. 
You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is the enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You can't have it both ways. Choose you this day. Come on. Come back to me and me alone. That's what God's saying. Rebuild the altar. Repent of your adultery. Recognize the ability of the Lord. God says, I'm going to do something. I'm not asking you to do something. I'm asking you to watch me do something. I'm not asking you to do something. I'm going to ask you to watch me do something. What does God do? God does the impossible. Recognize the ability of God. It's always been about God's name. It's always been about God's word. It's always been about God's plan. It's always been about God's love. Look at it here real quickly. Verse number 34. Verse number 36, rather. Where the Bible says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near. Here it is. 67-word prayer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac of Israel. Now, he's not praying all morning. It's not the length of your prayer that matters. It's the quality of your prayer that matters. It's not the length of your prayer that matters. It's to whom you're praying that matters. And Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art your God in Israel. I'm thy servant. I've done all these things at thy word. God, uh, this wasn't my plan. This wasn't my way of getting back at Ahab. This wasn't my way to look big. God, everything I've done today, every conversation I've had, every message that I've shared, every detail that I've given, all of it has been your plan. I've just done what you told me to do. At thy word. Verse number 37. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me. That this people may know that thou art the Lord God. That thou hast turned their heart back again. What a statement. God, I want them to know that you have turned their heart. You know what God's concerned about this morning? He's concerned about your heart. My son, give me thine heart. Let thine eyes observe my ways. With my whole heart. I've sought thee, oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, oh, Lord. Hey, God wants your heart. And the people of God, their heart was far from God. And so God was allowing circumstances and messages, some of them negative, and this whole big situation to show them, I love you and I want your heart back. I want your heart back. Did it ever occur to you that maybe all the things that are going on in your life right now are orchestrated by God? to grab your heart and bring you back to him. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. God wants your heart. And so watch what it says, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust. Wow, what a fire. Burned the stones, the dust. It licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. They said, the Lord, he's the God. The Lord, he is the God. Elijah said unto them, and he dealt with the prophets of Baal. We'll talk about that next week. Say, Pastor Skelly, where are you going with all this? Let me give you a concluding thought. Did you see three times in our passage, one little term? This is so exciting to me. Did you, did you see three times in our passage, one little term? It's this term, ready? The evening sacrifice. The evening sacrifice. Why did God tell Elijah to offer the offering at the evening sacrifice? For 50 years, the people of God have not celebrated the evening sacrifice. 
God had prescribed that his people would offer a morning sacrifice, nine o'clock in the morning, and an evening sacrifice, three o'clock in the afternoon. The Bible calls that the ninth hour. And every day of their lives, the Jewish people were supposed to recognize God in the morning and in the evening. And the more, that's a good practice, by the way, for us. In the morning and the evening, we ought to recognize God. God, start our day with God, end our day with God, be aware of the presence of God. But they hadn't done it now for 50 years. But the evening sacrifice at 3 o'clock, okay, now pray at that time. Why? Why the evening sacrifice? Well, you know that David said in Psalm 141 and verse 2, even when we don't get near the temple, we can still lift our hands in the evening sacrifice to praise thy name. So we know that God's concerned about our heart. Oh, and then the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 that Jesus was on the cross at nine o'clock. That's the morning sacrifice. And then Jesus was on the cross for six hours. And after three hours of total darkness, piercing the silence was the cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Exactly at, nine, at three o'clock, the ninth hour, the evening sacrifice. Don't you get it? What's the Bible teaching? The Bible's teaching Jesus is the evening sacrifice. He is the one he is the bullock, the sacrifice. When the fire of God fell, it consumed Jesus. I was supposed to be on that. I was supposed to be on that altar. You were supposed to be on that cross. I was supposed to pay for those sins. But Jesus was our sacrifice. And the fire of God's judgment judged him because he became sin for us. So the whole story in 1 Kings chapter 18 is one big arrow that points to a much bigger picture. And the much bigger picture is that we come back to God because of Jesus. And we get to know God because of Jesus. And Jesus is the access and he is the way and he is the motivator and he is the one that's capturing our heart. It all comes back to my relationship with Jesus Christ. So I wonder today, do you need to rebuild your altar? You need to humbly get before God and repent and say, God, I've been far from you, dancing back and forth with a million different things going on in my life. But God, thank you for removing the murkiness. Forgive me for my mediocrity. God, I'm not going to stand in the middle anymore. And God, today I'm coming back to, to you through Christ. And may every day count as I count every day for Jesus Christ.